Hello and welcome parents, parents by nature, parents by choice, and anyone with no apparent reason for being here. I am your host Chris Osborne and you are listening to a very special holiday edition of Judgy Parents Watching. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Our last episode of 2022, Judgy Parents Watching. I am your host, Chris Osborne. As always with me is... Naomi Swenson. Naomi, how are you doing? How are the holidays? Yeah, doing good. I feel like we haven't got there yet. It's been... So busy. Yeah, you're right. I totally feel that. You know, and it's like I apart I'm like the decorations are going up and that kind of stuff, but it it feels bizarre. And then like, you know, with older kids, like one is taking their finals this week and you know what I mean? It's like it's just a lot, but excited. Yes. Can't wait when it finally gets here. Everyone is trying to squeeze every ounce of the year into these last waning weeks. It is ridiculous, but I'm glad we got a hold of each other's schedules. We're able to tape this episode, and it's an episode that I just want to give like a quick origin story. This is a promise that I kept to you, correct? Yes, one of the ones you actually kept. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't know one you've not kept, so that feels just like mean. But So I feel like last year, I was rallying pretty hard for love, actually. Probably all the years, honestly, because I feel yeah. like this is our third Christmas episode. The reason was, is it's probably my favorite holiday movie it is a movie I really enjoy, honestly, as an expat because it's very nostalgic for me as it's set in England. But you originally said, which is amazing to me now, and I was kind of being very much for no-at-all watching it, you said it didn't have enough parenting themes in it. I did say that, yes. I'll acknowledge that I was wrong. You were wrong. I was incorrect because there <laughs> are some themes in here that are not only relevant but also emotionally gut-riching to watch as mm-hmm. someone with you know kids and a partner and to watch this love you know to watch the love grow and unravel and try to get mended back together again is you know really one of the most realistic interpretations of parenting that we've seen on this podcast where we try to judge fake parents, you know, the fake parents that we see in movies. But really, most parents that we see in Love Actually, their actions are quite real and hit really close to home. Yeah, it really, um, it struck me. A number of themes struck me because that thing of as a parent that you exclusively know as a parent, which is parenting always comes first, whatever else is going on, and how you navigate that, that was... um, very it kind of hit me in a good like a kind of tough way sometimes because and I think you see great examples of it obviously you see challenging examples of it and then you've got people where we just need to be like what happened in their childhood (laughs) they behave in that way um but um no I think I I was I'm really happy that we're able to chat about this movie today because it's not only a heartwarming and wonderful movie that's about a theme that I think is the most important theme out there, particularly at the um, holidays or Christmas. But also, I think it gives us some topics that we haven't really delved into before, which is going to be great. Yeah. Just in case people don't know what movie (laughs) we're talking about. (laughs) And this movie is over like 20 years old, right? It came out 20 years this year. 20 years this year. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And it's kind of become a cult classic. And so because of that, we wanted to make sure we had someone a part of this cult, a cult member. I don't know if I'd call him that, but just for the sake of this episode, (laughs) I will call him part of the cult of Love Actually. Uh, We've got Chris Mallow joining us. Chris, 
Welcome to the show. So glad that you could be here. Such a pleasure. Uh, love, love, Ashley. Um, such a great movie. I think it's actually 2003, so I think it's 19. So <laughs> see, <laughs> see what I'm talking about? He, he clearly knows. His stuff. So we <laughs> did a 20-year anniversary special this year. And yeah. then, but then I saw it was 2023, so I don't know what they're thinking. I'm confused, but yes, one of the two, 19 or 20. We can just celebrate it again next year. We can do the podcast <laughs> on Love Actually again next we'll year. We'll do a sequel. We'll yeah. do sure. a sequel to Love Actually. Okay, so Chris, Chris Malo. Call me Malo. It just flows. Let's let it go thank there. Thank you. Thank you. I was just about to say it flows better when you call him Malo. Everyone does. <laughs> uh, this, uh, I, I mean, I want to say that he is the biggest Love Actually fan in New Jersey. Specifically, <laughs> doesn't live there from New Jersey. Biggest Love Actually fan from New Jersey. It's true. It's true. Uh, it is probably my favorite holiday movie, me and my wife's favorite holiday movie. It officially ushers in the season every year. I think there's nothing that ever makes you feel like the holidays. Chris, you've lived in the UK. I've been to the UK during uh, during the holidays. And you can almost smell it in the air. And this is oh, just a yeah. great way to usher in the season. It's called and mulled every, wine. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really uh, a fantastic film. And I enjoy it. I go on the ride every year. I laugh. I cry. It's, I don't know. There's so many different journeys. And I think you can watch this movie through the years and, and watch it under a different perspective. And there's so many character relationships in this film that you can see, you know, the struggling with kids of that age and 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 and, and one of the stories. And then you can see, you know, the, the with uh, with Sam and, and Liam Neeson, like that relation. Obviously, that's that's a key thing to talk about, I think. But um, such a wonderful film and, and so many different perspectives to see it in. So tragic, so happy, so uplifting, so fun, and so honest, man. It's, oh, just, it's just really fun. And it's just, I remember like different perspectives and watching it from, from 18 years ago to now. And it's just a great watch. It's so much fun. All right. Well, let's kick things off. Uh, do our kids' names quickly? Yes. Yeah. Before we get things started, though, like anything involving parents, there's rules. We've got three rules to the show. First rule being privacy, which means we're just going to be sharing our kids' nicknames, not their real names. It keeps things fun, but really, it's just my guilty pleasure watching Naomi struggle bus her way through remembering her kids' nicknames. I'm really, really bad at it. Well, thank God for the editing tool. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so we've got... Here we go. Deep breath. So the 15-year-old um, is uh, the gymnast. You yes. Stuck to that one, right? Yep. Um, then uh, my 13-year-old boy is, uh, he's actually 13 this month, but we always round up once the other two get older. It's just easier. Um, so the 13-year-old is Oysters, and then the 11-year-old boy is uh, the Big Easy. Fantastic. Might change his name to Mr. President because he just made student council and he's really excited. Oh, like of course he did. Is it fifth grade student council? He's still elementary school. No, I mean still, that's amazing. Yeah, he said in the car this morning apparently that he was really excited, and Jake was like, "Well, you know, this is your first, you know, soiree into leadership," and he goes. Dad, it's my first meeting. And, he, and I would love that. And they were like, you know what? Leadership and meetings go really well together. But yeah, he's definitely got a, he, he loved the, he said everything else sounded tedious, that his words, but he liked the idea of making things better. So yeah, he's Mr. President. I'm going to change his name to Mr. President. 
the, right now? Right now. All right, let's do it. Doing. I would vote the Big Easy for president in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, Especially out of him. all the candidates we've had so far in the last <laughs> 10 years, clearly the best, I mean, this he guy. Knows, he knows what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. All right, Malo, your turn. What are the nicknames of your kids? I have a 13-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. I'm a, a, lar- a huge Star Wars fan, so let's just call them Luke and Leia for the sake of, of saving the name. That's <laughs> the that. least shocking thing ever, but it's the only thing I can think of. And Somehow yeah, I didn't see it coming, though. I should have seen that coming. It's, so, it's so easy. It's just right there. Okay, we got the gymnast, oysters, Mr. President, Luke and Leia, and my two kids, a seven-year-old called Kitty Unicorn and a soon-to-be four-year-old that we call the Challenger. Okay, um, the second rule, and I've got a surprise for you. Oh. Second rule is keep it family friendly. <laughs> I was about to swear as well. And I feel like it's Christmas. Let's let go of that rule. And Naomi, whatever Fuck you yeah. want. <laughs> it's so hard for me as a British person to not swear on this podcast love, as this movie demonstrates. Love actually is rated R. So you know what? Let's do rated R today. I mean, Malo's from Jersey. You're yeah. from the UK. This, you. was, this would be just a massive, massive undertaking for editing <laughs> if I had to edit out all the F-bombs and whatever, whatever might be dropped tonight. And this is good because then I can share like the part that I always forget about of this movie that I love, but always makes me laugh really hard is Colin Frizzle when he's leaving to get on the airport and he goes like, but I've got a big knob. And that is like, I don't know why that gets me every time. It is so juvenile. So now you don't have to bleep out. Nope. Would you even do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, I think that's fair play. Yeah, that's fair play. Yeah. So awesome. Yes. Okay, last rule of Judgy Par- Parents Watching is just have fun. So that's all we're <laughs> going to do. We're going to have a lot of fun today. But hey, it is the new year. It's the holidays. It's Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Christmas after that. Please, 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 please be kind to one another out there. We love everyone. So make sure we're treating everyone with as much respect and love over the holidays. 100%. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, Love Actually, you drop into this movie at Heathrow Airport with all the couples and families reuniting. <laughs> That's such a lovely scene and moment. But really, what that does is serve as that like jumping off point to these little smaller stories and vignettes. So, we're just going to go through these stories, vignettes, and characters one by one. Because if we were trying to go through the movie, <laughs> as it were, oh my goodness, we would be all over the place. So, Let's start with Daniel and Sam, probably the sweetest story. And Sam and Daniel really give this movie that like validity and emotional weight. Yeah, it is my probably my favorite story in the and it's really hard because I feel like it changes a little bit. It's my favorite story. I'm sure a little bit of that now is for once there is a movie where the step parents is a good person. Yay! <laughs> Represented. Yes. Someone's actually not a dick. Unlike Disney. Um, but, you know, but my favorite thing about that movie is that I always forget that he's the step parent. That's exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. They, dr- You drop into that scenario with them, and it's mentioned that he's a step parent, but even throughout the interaction and the, you know, milestone and moment and heartbreak that they're mm-hmm. going through, this is a, par- a full-fledged parent with titles and that don't even matter. Yeah, and the bond, you can clearly tell that Daniel, Liam Neeson, he's put in the time and he's put in the reps and they already have a bond yeah. that's just rock solid. They've got their thing where they hold their finger up at each other. They, um, The way that they interact together, they've got this like, it's, it is a parent, parenthood. There's a friendship, there's a depth of bond there. 
And, you know, it is very much what, when I watch it now, it is what I aspired to be like when I started becoming a step parent and what I realized I have achieved. So obviously that was kind of a nice feeling to be like, oh yeah, I totally can uh, relate to that feeling. Right. But I think separately from just a general parenting standpoint, what I love about it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too, is it, it's it's such a beautiful representation of that age when they start to have more of a, a character, a sense of humor. You can be a little bit more colloquial and how you're talking to each other, make silly jokes, you know? And it's, I think last time I watched it, I wasn't necessarily at that point with, you know, the kids who are getting older, but certainly now you can have, see their little characteristics shine out and you can encourage them to be silly and romantic and do all of this stuff. I just, I loved seeing that representation of that age because I don't think I know many movies where you see that quality of, partnership in how they go about day-to-day -day life yeah um I, I mean it's it's that to me is one of the most moving things i mean when they when they come together because he's he's really it's tragic right he just lost his wife and yes they have a relationship before but he's trying to gain his trust of his of his stepson and they're trying to find their way through this thing mm -hmm. together and see where it can go right and and um the the way the, the way you know he kind of it's it's a perfect thing the way he talks. He's asking his son. He's like, "How do you feel about what, what's going on? Is it, is it your mom? Is it this? Are you mm. sticking needles in your eyeballs? You know that what's going on?" He's like, "It's like no, I'm in love." And it's just like, and we as parents, as that as a young kid, I think he's supposed to be like ten or eleven in the movie, yeah. right? We laugh at that, but. Sam shows up with such emotion and such heart, and you can see, and like, and Liam just reacts. He goes, "Oh yeah," he's like, "Oh shit, this is yeah. real. This is happening," and he's like, "Okay, I'm on board with this," and that becomes their bond and their journey to get him to join. It's just, it's so lovely to watch it kind of come together. And I think, considering the situation and that, you know, this child has lost his parent, you know, it provides an opportunity for a sense of purpose to follow love, to follow, you know, your passion, to be bold, to be brave. And it's like, however ridiculous and unrealistic the um, airport scene is, but really just wonderful. It's like, if you look at it purely from what it represents, this thing of like, go and be free and almost carefree, like considering the scenario that he's in and find joy and go practically go out and find joy. It's like, that's never going to be a bad Thing to teach a child particularly one who's you know dealt with so much more than um they yeah. ever should have done and i think they do a tasteful job of it being a present struggle that he manages to find a focus and navigate it and get joy back in his life but without it being a depressing a depressing story of a child's loss like yeah, it, through and it through. was delicately it was done such a symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. between the two of them you know and how one was using his history of falling in love to help the other one kind of uh, finding his, you know, the first love of his life. But it was, yeah, it was so great how they worked well together. Such a team. Yeah, yeah, they really, really were, were a, a great team. Honestly, when you started talking, I was, I get teary-eyed and emotional just thinking about it because I, it's just such an emotional ride, you know. Let's get our asses kicked by love, you know. It's just like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, you know, as a parent, step-parent, love-parent, whatever kind of parent you are, if that was your story being told of your relationship with your child, 
you knew you would know that you are the best fucking parent out there. I'm so happy I can <laughs> But like but you know but, but I mean that it's just like, you know, when there are moments in my life or time with the boys where I feel like we've just had this day of like an adventure or, you know, we've I we've you know, that been able to be a good partner to them as their or guide to them as they're going through a challenging love situation or a friendship situation. And what this represents is like the parenting goal of how you can balance being a relatable, trusted person to your child to encourage them to fly, but also be a good guide, you know, and um, to make sure they're safe. So I, I feel like that is for once in this podcast, probably the best example of parenting that we've seen. Is that too bold? I don't think it is. No, I don't think I don't he think messes up at all. Yeah. I think he does a great job. One of the things that I wanted to bring up, and this is kind of like a sidebar on the situation, and maybe you can help shed some light on it, Naomi, because I feel like this is a very British thing, is, uh, you know, we're all talking about the love and partnership that uh, Sam and his dad have together, mm-hmm. that's true, but also brutal honesty. And this is something that Emma Thompson's character says to Daniel, something about, like, no one's going to want to shag a sissy who cries all the time. You know, maybe not the <laughs> best thing to say to a to a widower, so but I feel exactly it is so English and that brutal honesty is something even removed 20 years you're here and you're like, whoa, 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 maybe uh, take it easy on them. But I feel like that would be said to this day. It would it would be England. said. It would be said. And <laughs> I remember at the time that was jarring. And that's always been one of the most jarring parts of the movie for me is um, Emma Thompson's reaction. And I, it is exceptionally English. It is definitely the sort of phrase that you would say, I would say you'd usually say it at the, you'd give them the comfort and then be like, do you know what? No one's going to want to shag her anyway. And that's like a kind of way to make them smile at the end of it. But she just blasts in and their relationship. (laughs) I is the weirdest thing. I feel like it was partly a tool to create a connection between the different characters. Yes. More than anything. And secondly, a tool to show his struggle and to give some understanding of the fact that Emma Thompson's character is kind of very stiff upper lip. There's references, which I hadn't noticed before, a couple of times through the movie about how she has gone through a journey of being better at expressing herself emotionally. I can't remember the exact phrases, but, oh, Joni Mitchell, how Joni Mitchell helps her to Uh know how to express herself more, which I hadn't noticed before. But all of that to say is I think it gives them both a character background of he's struggling, she isn't necessarily the most easy to get very close to, but she is a good friend and a kind person. And this somehow needs to be a reason why they all turn up at the school. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and, but it's, it's a very strange relationship. And I don't know why they only get do two scenes and then disappear off and you, they never talk to each other again. Yeah, I think it was exactly like you <laughs> said. We just need to like connect to the docs. But, oh, the only plot hole in this movie is Daniel saying he knows a shortcut to Heathrow. There is no shortcut to Heathrow. There is no shortcut to Heathrow. Well, the shortcut to Heathrow is living next to Heathrow. Yes. (laughs) There's like one road that goes in and out, and they're going from Wandsworth, which means that they, oh my God, they're actually in the worst traffic to get to Heathrow. There is no shortcut. Come for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. All right, we're going to move on to the Prime Minister and Natalie Hugh Grant great as the prime minister uh mala what what are your thoughts on that relationship oh man um (laughs) i mean hugh grant just hugh granting his guts out so spectacular (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. I mean, he get your it's the first day and he's getting the intro and he's just this nervous talker, right? And she's like, fuck. Uh sorry, we can swear, right? And she's like, <laughs> Oh, I I had a reckoning I wasn't gonna fuck up on my first day. He's like, oh, I said fuck and getting rid of that whole thing. And you can see there's just immediate chemistry and it kind of works, right? And it's like there's you know, there's a lot to un- unwrap in there. There's that's a very powerful <laughs> relation. He's a powerful man, right? And all this, but and you know the whole thing from letting her go because he's afraid of getting close to her and all. It's but then he comes around. I, I, I'm skipping around, but my, one of my favorite moments of the movie is when they go caroling and the guy drops the mic on the carol sing. Yes. His driver. Got the greatest moment ever. But um, no, it's wonderful. Uh, I, 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 his character is wonderful. The way they come together is is quite good. Uh, it feels very kind of real. The chemistry is real. Um, I don't know. Big fan. And for context for people who don't know this, and I don't even know whether you know this, Martin McCutcheon, who plays um, Natalie, is a famous actress in the UK in her own right. She was on EastEnders back in the 90s. She was one of a group of, which is one of our big, um, one of the maybe two or three biggest soap operas that we have. Everyone watched it. She was a household name. It was kind of like the golden days of that soap because her and maybe three or four other characters kind of had these roving love stories and that kind of stuff. And then she'd kind of been out of the spotlight for a little mm-hmm. while, but still, because she was a teenager when she was in there, she was still, I'm assuming, late 20s, early 30s by the time this was done. So she was already... She played almost like, I mean, I didn't watch it deeply, but it was like she kind of played a very believable character that people were very familiar with in the UK. Um, So the casting was very intentional. I believe in that. So, you know, she would definitely be very relatable as a character in the role that she plays. So it was very intentional to bring in. And you'll notice that the casting that Richard Curtis, the director, does is, is a combination between household names in the UK and actors that are just generally famous. Um... So anyway, with all of that said, I feel like I really like the story of their love and them engaging with each other and actually their individual characteristics I thought were really nice. It went bad at the point that the president came in. That was when I started to really struggle with it. I know that there was the other moment, but this whole hit the president's behavior, the way that it turns into like a bit of a cockfight between who wants the girl and that he suddenly changed all of his morals just because, you know, and he's in the speech, you can tell he's talking about her and not actually talking about anything to do with his job. It becomes a little tenuous. And I feel like it loses a little bit of um, validity to the story in that part. And then I do think they then get it back at the point that he is, you know, going around the houses, they've got their, you know, the ride in the taxi when it really was just around the corner and they've got this like big octopus like sat between that them. scene is incredible it's with so the good. kid in the octopus and both of them on the cusp of spilling their guts out and right. then, oh, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was my 10-year-old British accent right there. Was, was that all right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about, um, I mean, this is a big part of that. What about body image and body shaming? Oh, you know? oh my I God. Mean, that's from a parent standpoint I I mean and when he calls her plumpy at the end it's like come on dude really shoot I forgot that and it's like oh you know I actually love it about you so there's like a number of different references to like body image and that kind of stuff and you know if you look at the time this was when this very 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 skinny look was good right and you know as someone who lived through that it was nasty and it wasn't kind and 
you're there. And I think even at the time, people were like, she's probably a 12 or like a US 8. You know, she, this wasn't anything crazy. Um, yeah. And they really go for it. That like private secretary or whatever her name is. Yeah. The oh, one who's like, yeah. it's got like, a, I was like, okay, well, she didn't do anything to you. Like, just stop. And, but I do, I do, apart from the plumpy part, like the fact that his reaction is, eh, would, you, would you say that? And, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I did like the fact that he was like, mm, and because, but it's this idea that he sees past it versus the fact that it doesn't matter. Also, she is not fat. She is not even close to being fat. She is incredibly beautiful. And even if she were fat, it doesn't matter because she would still be incredibly beautiful. And I'm so glad that we are not living in that world. And that is called absolutely yeah. ridiculous because I didn't even notice it when I watched it as, oh, at that age. No, not at all. I, I mean, I, even Emma Thompson, actually, she wore a fat suit in this movie because there, there's that. that scene when they get back from the office party and she's like, oh, I feel fat. She was wearing a fat suit. Emma Thompson was wearing yeah. a fat suit, which is just ridiculous to think about. It's crazy. But it, again, we're coming off like the tailwinds of the late 90s and the body dysmorphia um, just really. rampant. And so you look at this and it's like, you know what? This makes sense that this this sort of behavior is left in the wake there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But from a parenting standpoint, I mean, the plumpy comment kind of kills me. I mean, it, it, could you imagine ever, you know, going down that path? So I don't know. They really lean into it. And I agree on all fronts. I mean, she's just beautiful. And it's like, I, I, I we don't have that history in the U.S., right, of understanding who she who she is as a British actress. Um, but it just, it seems very deliberate and, and just, and I, it just, I know that always kind of shocks me, um, you know, but obviously... Clearly, yes, the, the president does goat him and maybe that is the, the change, but he was clearly into her um, from, from day one. And I, and I like that he kind of went yeah. after it and made it happen. For sure. And, you know, I think now there'd be a recognition that her weight or appearance actually doesn't move the plot forward in any way. No, it's like, no. It's, it's a strange thing. And so I think, yeah, I it agree. was almost as if they were trying to add some nobility to him seeing past this perspective of other the other people had of her. Right. Which... Do that in a different way. And I think think he already did do that. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like as well, there is the... I think that I I know that there is, and that this was again at a time where Hugh Grant was at the height of his fame and he was famous because of movies directed by the same person. So Four Weddings, all of this kind of stuff. Um, Notting Hill, which is actually my favorite movie of all time. Um, (laughs) Notting Hill and Love, actually, I'm just, you know, I I have a formula. But, um, you know, he was playing this, you know, you were the Hugh Grantist of Hugh Grants and this big admirable speech in front of people where he kind of represents the nation. We talked about it a little bit over text today, but that was to me as an English person at the time, representation of the fact that English people had a kind of resentment and an eye roll about the special relationship between Blair and Bush. And there was a wish and almost like a cheer. I actually think that people cheered in the movies when I saw it when that was rejected oh wow so it was a it was a physical like you know we didn't agree with bush we didn't agree with what he stood for for reasons that you know funny enough as it comes up now we didn't like the what he represented um liberally i guess and um tony blair as a labor politician who should have who was supposed to be way more forward took this back seat we hated the partnership with the u.s as a as a country and so this idea of like this whole, the whole narrative around special relationship and then denouncing it is a very, very clear political message that 
people would overjoy to see, especially Hugh Gwanti. Okay, switching gears from geopolitical metaphors to completely cringy storylines, let's talk about Mark, Juliet, and Peter. Probably the weirdest love story within the movie. Oh my god, Yeah, the teenage, the teenage bride. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think I realized at the time that she was so young. She'd already been in quite a few movies. Um, but yeah, she was, um, or no way, actually put this another one. She'd been in Bend It but Like Beckham, which was huge yeah. in the UK. And I actually don't think was as big in other places. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I um, really strange. Very, very strange yeah. story. And it doesn't really, it still doesn't sit well. And, the, and you know what specifically it is? And I feel like everyone I knew was as angry about this at the time is the fact that she runs out and kisses him after he's held out the signs. Yeah. It's really odd. Yes. I, but uh, was she letting him go and saying, okay? I mean, obviously that was the moment that he needed to let go, but it, it, it is very weird. And Peter doesn't give a shit either. He's just sitting on the couch. Oh, it's Carol or Carolers. Carolers get let him go. I mean, it's just it's just a very odd dynamic. The whole thing. Yeah, and the fact that he's best man and he's given this was the thing that got me this time actually. He's best man. Let's not even talk about whatever must have gone down in on their staff oh, party. Oh, at the bachelor party, the bachelor yeah. party. And then he's giving him this big hug and, like, good luck and doing all of these nice things, but then equally saying, you know, that she's massively insecure, that he's never made an effort with her and that he's never been able to get close to her. And then he's being kind of creepy about videoing her. And then he's holding up these... It's very confusing about, like, what all went down. And, like, if I was her... And my husband's best friend had a weird obsession with me. Obviously not a problem I've had in my life. Yeah, uh, restraint order, maybe. Oh, it would have been a conversation. Like, she's like, okay, that's weird. I'm going to go watch TV now. And it's like, (laughs) that's it. It's just, I just don't, I don't understand it. And and not to mention the fact that if he hasn't got to know her, then he doesn't know her. And so what is he in love with? Well, you know, I'm glad you said that. Because when he was doing his whole cards, he was like, by this time next year, I'll be dating one of these girls. And it was just like all of these supermodels. Yes. And then he's like, but until then, I just want you to know that you, also a supermodel, you know, celebrity, you're perfect. And it's just like his ideal of a type of person that he wants to be with is just totally unrealistic well you know and maybe maybe that's really what this is not maybe done really well but that he is very really what he is is in lust he is um seeing someone's appearance their demeanor how they appear from afar because that's really only the the only way that he's engaged with her similar to his admiration of supermodels from magazine cutouts again slightly creepy but <laughs> it's like that he he doesn't understand love he doesn't know it. He hasn't experienced that closeness of it potentially because what he is calling love can't be love because we know that he doesn't have any kind of real relationship with her. Yeah. But then why the church? It's such an elaborate thing that if you were his friend, you would be so chuffed. And that's such a wonderful scene. And yet it's like you think it's so innocent and just like him um, sending off his best man and, and his wife. And it just goes, I don't know, it, it, it always sat wrong. And it's ironic that that's probably the most iconic scene in the movie. It was in all the marketing with the signs right. and yeah. 
memes that we've seen over the last 20 years and done on social media to death. And it's really just completely off sides against bro code, white code, yes. and every code man. And um, it's just really odd. Yeah. And that's freaking Rick. Every time I watch it, I just want to go, Carl, Carl is not the same Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I watched, yeah, sorry, I watched first. That is, yeah, he, so this, by the way, is a really funny thing when you look at these people. He's yeah. another example of someone who is a very household name. He was on a show called Teachers, but people who have gotten really famous since. The guy who plays the husband, uh, Andrew, right? Is it? Uh, he was in Marvel movie, movies. He was in, uh, yeah. Right. And he was, I think, I, I don't know anything that he was in, but I think he was in. So they're both examples of people who were very well known. Yeah, Everyone knew that guy. And then obviously when he then joined the Walking Dead, everyone was like, oh, so now Hollywood has like picked him up and like, I'm sure that he is too good for us now. And by the way, a little claim to fame. I actually saw him um the what's his name uh, adrian adam andy lincoln uh, yeah i saw that guy in a costume store in camden market oh that makes sense that maybe uh i would say based on maybe five years after this was done and it's funny like i wouldn't say that i'm someone who's gonna start like fangirling over famous people when you see them yeah. But there was something about me. I was like, oh, my God, is the guy from Love Actually? Because it was before The Walking Dead and everything like that. And it's just like he because to your point, it was iconic, like him holding up the placards, all of that stuff. He was kind of cute. He's my type. And so I was like, oh, it's Andrew Lincoln. And and you could tell that he was done. It was close (laughs) enough to Christmas that he was done. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh. Let's move on to one of the most heartbreaking stories. Sorry, we, we have to cover it. We have to cover Harry and Karen. We got to go there. But I feel like there could not have been any other actors yes. than Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson to, oh, bring, to bring this together. The yeah. best. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I, sorry. I mean, I just, her performance when she realized the gift is important, she gets the CD and the Joni Mitchell starts playing, it just shatters me. It has to shatter everyone. And she is just in it. And I, every time I'm like, holy shit, she just kills every second of that scene. And she's so good. And you feel the gut-wrenching experience. And she's got to go out and face her kids and get ready to go. It's just so hard what moms have to go through and just put on that face for your kids and for your family. And oh, he oversteps in such a ridiculous way. Mia, what is she oversteps? It just the, the, you know, his, his secretary or whatever she, whatever her role was, <laughs> it's just insane. It hurts. It hurts. But it's that is to me, that's what makes this movie great. That scene when the music comes on, ah, oh, it takes me there, man. You've got two people who are a representation of the pedigree of the best English actors. And I'm saying English specifically because I feel like there is a certain style of acting that they represent, um, you know, and they've done they've done it in everything from Jane Austen through to Harry Potter and that kind of stuff. But you know that they just bring a gravity to everything that they do. And randomly... I was looking up one of the quotes from between them from when she says, you've made a fool out of me and you made a fool out of the life that we live. And I noticed that when I read the script, the script's actually not great. Or, and by that, I mean, he, you see him kind of go, oh, a classic fool. 
And you hear the words or you see them on paper and you're like, huh? Like that doesn't feel like how you should react. You feel like you should, you know, provide more words or try and justify like what you've done. And it feels like it's kind of sparing or lacking in like depth. But then you give it to them and how they perform it so kind of quietly. They're none, neither of them are overbearing in any way. The way that they look, you can tell, the most heartbreaking thing about it is that you can tell that they have a real and true bond and a real and true love for each other that is just going on for a really long time. A long time, yeah. And yeah, and then stupid behavior or stupid decisions have led to something that was entirely avoidable. Because I don't even know whether he was planning on doing anything versus was like engaging with the flirtation and appreciating the attention and the flattery that came with it. I don't think that there was any, you don't see him being like, okay. And I, I was about to say something I shouldn't say. So I'm going <laughs> to, I can, for editing and, purposes, I was about to be like, come here's a necklace, this... suck a dick. But like, like, <laughs> but like, what I mean is that like, you, you, there is no assumption that he's making by giving her that necklace. And I'm not making, that is, obviously not right but you can tell that it is an ego-led decision and it is selfish and it is yeah so detrimental to the family that they have built for nothing and then you see the strength in her and I actually feel sorry for her and this is again coming from an English perspective of this stiff upper lip mentality the fact that she knew she had to do that and there was something that really struck me, particularly watching it this time around that I'd never noticed before is at the end of the play, she is chatting with the families, saying goodbye to everyone, doing the parental thing of congratulating each other's kids, all of that kind of stuff. And he has stood on the side looking at the ceiling, totally disengaged with the family life. And it's like those little nuances, mm, the fact that they I chose, I'd never noticed it before. And I don't know why I gravitated towards it, but like, he was stood waiting for her to do her duty or to, or he wasn't engaging with their duty communally. And then she has that conversation and the way, I mean, I've, my, my degree is drama. I've done acting before and obviously a fair bit. And so the idea that she's adding all of that emotion and then someone's going by and she's saying goodbye to this person and that it's like the complexity. I have no idea how she, how they both did it. And so that was just my ode to both of them because I, it was the most powerful and the saddest thing. It's really, really freaking sad. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and what I I really enjoyed seeing Alan Rickman struggle through that because watching Alan Rickman kind of wrestle with his ego, because that's really what that's kind of like out of bounds relationship affair was all about. There were so many bumps along the road, including Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, in the yeah. scene where he's trying to guy. wrap the necklace. Absolutely amazing. And the way that he does like, he does like the little thing and then there's like a little bit more that he wants to do. I, um, I, I will admit that Phrases that Rowan Atkinson says in that department store scene is a present part of conversations that Jake and I have. <laughs> the flashiest of flashes when it's like, oh, when will you get here? Go oh, on, the flashiest of flashes. And I forgot that I reaction. It is but a moment of work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but it's just, and I mean, I, I mean, he in himself is just a yeah. genius. I, I've, I, his, his physical performance in it always. And I love, by the way, because I don't, we've covered Sam and stuff, so we won't get a chance to do this. My favorite story connection is the fact that he creates a distraction that then helps Sam get on the play, uh, get through security. 
Oh, yeah. When he's like ruffling around. I love yeah, that little right. connection because it yeah. was kind of like the detrimental side of his faffing and then the positive side. But yeah, and Joni Mitchell, by the way, I feel like that was how I was introduced to Joni Mitchell properly oh, through this cool. movie. Yeah. Um, and it's like, names a better, name a different artist that could have been used at that particular moment in that scene. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's a theme too of powerful men taking advantage of their, of their situation. Him as the boss, right? Boss. And yeah, he's so giving to Sarah and Carl, that whole thing. So I don't know if you want to go there, but, but, um, <laughs> and, and, and prime minister, right? Power position that he could clearly get whoever he wants. But if he wanted to have the affair, he could, right? And it, I don't know, that just obviously, me too, all these things, you know, that have happened since then. I, that that's never sat well with me of like why you would do that when you've got your kids at home if you do it you know it just that always hurts me a lot well and if you look at the character of Mira as well there was a joke at the time about how she was kind of one of the most hated characters in England because she is so she is presented so evilly oh like yeah she literally she is wearing wears devil, a devil horns dress, yeah. to the Christmas party weird yeah. uh slow dancers at a Christmas party weird like I, that, the DJs in this movie are absolutely horrific, absolute trash. But, <laughs> DJs. but I, um, oh, sorry for anyone who's good. Um, <laughs> but I, um, but, but she is literally a one-dimensional character, one of the very few one-dimensional characters in this movie, and she is positioned actively as a homewrecker. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you look at it on paper, who is in the wrong, Mia or him? Because he is the one who could have said no. She just he kind made of the choice. Yeah, yeah, he made a choice. He, he and I'm not saying that she is innocent, but like to make it that binary. And I feel like that is what I one of the things I do have an issue with in this movie, probably more than some, is the fact that there should have been a little more responsibility put on his shoulders outside of what Emma Thompson put on him. Because it is really put like this bit of temptation coming in, but it's like she's also human. You see her in her home. She's doing the necklace. Like there's more. Yeah, I was for that gratuitous. By the way, I, it's not necessary to be in lingerie. I mean, she's obviously a gorgeous woman, but it just feels so gratuitous in your face, and yeah. it just feels out of place. I got to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You did a better job of explaining that to me. Just, it's, <laughs> it's that one. But I want to go back to a quick snippet you had there about the company that Alan Rickman's character owns and some of the employees that work with with him, including Sarah and Carl. Sarah, played by Laura Carl. Lenny. Carl. 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 Even though he's Brazilian. Uh, but what was so that was so crazy that he calls Laura Lenny into his office and is like, hey, everyone knows you want to shag Carl, so go shag Carl and have a thousand of his baby. You know, just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I always got the feeling, that, though, that there was that like... one-on-one worthy? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a work conversation. Maybe don't... I always got the feeling with those characters that there was a friendship that stemmed way beyond the workplace environment. But to your point, maybe could have happened outside of it as yeah. a result. <laughs> and maybe he could have brought it up sooner because that's a really long time. Yeah, like two years. Can you imagine? Was... It's like, maybe drop a hint. Yes! Yeah. Yes! But I did, I don't know, I did actually really like that conversation. I thought that that was actually a very sweet, when, when he yeah. goes, does he know? Yes. <laughs> I just thought it was, I, 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 I enjoyed it, but like, I, yeah, again, like poor workplace scenarios. But again, <laughs> we're in Europe. We're Anything in goes. Europe. Anything goes. Sexy Brazilian. <laughs> yes, sexy Brazilian. Honestly, yeah, in 
that story between Sarah and Carl was also kind of like a story about Sarah and her brother Michael's, uh, her sibling, yeah, mm-hmm. like their love for each other. But man, that is a lot of love That's to tough. get yeah. off that little Brazilian snack in the throes of love to go help your brother or go help your sibling. Cause I needed her to not pick up the phone though. I mean, <laughs> you could easily not picked up the phone. Just indulge in that moment. You've worked really hard. You're finally there. You worked two years just, for it. Just don't pick up the phone and let's just, just let it go for one night for an hour. <laughs> we are all old enough to know that there is a silent mode option. You know what? There was in fact a different ringtone option that she could have chosen. I, I feel like there are certain tones alarms as well from the past that I've used where it nope, just really, yeah. it really just makes you stressed. And so I understand why she jumped for her phone. I would have just been to turn it off. But right. like, I don't know. I I would have said when I first watched this movie, that was my least favorite story. And I, be, I think the reason was, is that I just didn't get it. I was 15. I would have absolutely never picked up the phone to my sister if I was, had a hot Brazilian <laughs> like I was enough at beauty to be like what are you doing <laughs> you, he is gorgeous but you know jokes aside about it I felt like I couldn't relate to it because you learn about that unconditional nature of love I think as you do get older because just by how life works it gets you know tested and practiced more I feel like now the frustration that I get is actually very more empathetic or sympathetic to her Mm -hmm. and the situation, the conflict that she's going through, which is like, she is essentially living a life, but living no life. Yeah. She is functioning in her day to day. She is trying to explore what her own path can look like, but she is also so highly committed to the service of her brother. And she is a very acts of service and a caretaker personality. And I've through my life had a lot of like, I've always been that kind of more caretaker personality. And so I remember seeing the point where you could tell that she felt selfish, that like her interests were her missing her responsibility or her, it was so unnecessary and like her absolute conviction that she should never come first really touched me as I watched it because it is a whole process to realize that, you know, self-care or, you know, there has to be a balance. And I think she, she, she demonstrates that conflict really well. And it's 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 a hopeless scenario that she's in because that situation is never going to go away. Yeah. 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 Another heartbreaking one. So let's switch into another more lighthearted one. <laughs> and I got a big <laughs> Judy and John, the uh, two stand-ins. I feel like this is my favorite love story throughout all of it. And if you haven't seen the movie... Judy and John, they play stand-ins on what may be a porno. I know, is it like a softcore? I don't know what kind of movie is Basically, all all the stand-in work that they're doing is them getting undressed and mimicking the motions of sex. And so I do love this metaphor of just like completely shedding your skin, Mm -hmm. getting vulnerable with each other, and letting that lead the way. And it's it's just yeah. so funny how they're kind of nudity with each other. Yeah, and he's got like full dad bod and is just like a normal, approachable <laughs> dude. And the dude, she's you know he's charming, and but she's way out of his league. You know, if you're gonna look at it on paper, but yeah, I mean, and they, the stats just don't add up on paper. Well, and again, this is an example of Martin Freeman, obviously now very famous 
was not famous at the time, but very well known. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stacy off of Gavin and Stacy, yes. which I've tried to get my husband to watch, but you have to really know English. Look, references. I tried watching Gavin it's, and Stacy, and I I just can't. It's, it doesn't work. There are TV shows that um, Americans can watch. If you enjoy the sense of humor, Gavin and Stacey is, has so many pop culture references, EastEnders references, Pat Butcher earrings. Like, I w- would keep stopping the television uh, to try and explain this, and then it's not funny anymore. But she is, she was really kind of coming up as being, you know, famous in her own right. She's really all she's done, but it is this kind of characterization of the Welsh accent and this very innocent, sweet personality that um, did very well. And then Martin Freeman is this bumbling Englishman. And so they both are playing stereotypes of their personas, but it is used perfectly as a tool to show a very innocent and pure love story. Like he, him jumping off the stairs when she agrees to go on a date with him. Yeah. And the... That movie's priceless. I always think like when you break your ankle, that's a big, that's a big job, I did look at that and be and like... And he landed like, like this with his feet like this, you know? <laughs> I, I did remember looking at that and being like, ooh, especially in London with the cobbles. You can't risk that. But um but but and then it's like when he when I think she's on like top of him and rocking when he Oh no, oh. no, she sat on his face. Yeah. And then and then he asked her to go on the date and he says, Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh and I just love yeah, I love the idea of a pure love story. And because it's not the whole movie, there doesn't have to be any complication. And yeah. I know that depth of movies and complexity of relationships is nice. Sometimes you just want to see what a wonderful pure love story looks like. And they showed that well. And in a setting which could seem weird, but then everyone's acting normal. And then he's like rubbing his hands before yeah. he puts them on. <laughs> I just, and, I just, and the obsession with the nipples too. Why did they have to say the nipples so many times? I, I have so no weird. idea. There were some things that were going on. I was like, what? yeah, what is this movie about? Number one, like the set was weird. Like yeah. some palazzo. Yeah, some palazzo and couldn't quite put my finger on it. And it doesn't Why matter. were they at the play at the end? But yeah, I feel like there was a friend or something, or at the very least they'd been to the school as well. Like, I think there's also a bit of a community tradition that they reference in this, which is like, um, which I do think is more significant in the UK, which is like carol services, nativity plays is, is often, even if it's a certain school, there's probably only one or two schools, so it's it's a community event. If you know the families, then you'll just go. Versus like, hey, you have to have a child. Yeah. Un- otherwise, you're a pedophile. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, let's... Man, that's a tough transition to jump off of. <laughs> Talking so, about yeah. that. Colin and Tony. Colin and Tony. Okay, if John and Judy were my favorite story, Colin and Tony, specifically Colin, that was just my least favorite story. I feel like Colin and Tony could have been a story that was removed. It was all right. It was kind of a gag with this horny, funny Englishman yeah. born in not funny, horny country. So go to America where Wisconsin everyone's like well. that. <laughs> yeah, Wisconsin, where everyone has Jersey accents for some reason. I, 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 I didn't really. I mean, I doesn't underst- matter. It's generic, cold America. Ex- yeah, I didn't. Don't think I'd even heard the word Wisconsin before this movie. <laughs> I guarantee you, I you could not pinpoint Wisconsin on a map. No, beyond, <laughs> I'm, but also I can barely pinpoint Austin on a map. Like I'm still in the process of learning my states like i've been busy uh three kids but okay so i think and this is how i always saw it is colin frizzle i forget the character's name chris something oh the actor's name sorry i this felt like a cameo 
fun addition to the storyline. He was the older brother in a very popular show called My Family that was probably coming to an end or had just finished around that time. He is very funny. He was very popular. He basically played that character. And so he provided the light relief in this. And you notice that all, all of the quintessential English phrases, knob being one, uh, <laughs> bugger, all of these kind of like guilty pleasure English words they give to him. So he is playing, he's just being indulgent. I do think that there is probably a lot of boys, probably more teenagers in the UK who think that they're going to go to America and see really fit birds and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> like he's living a fantasy. And I, I wonder whether that is one that's probably funnier for us. By the way, certainly not my experience when I moved to the US. But, <laughs> but I, I do, I definitely, I do wonder whether that is one where I remember being really happy when I saw him on in the movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care what he did because he's just a very funny comedy actor who is very beloved. Yeah, yeah I, I so love much that. to mention. We, I never knew any of this. Yeah, from the, I was just, the, from the UK perspective. I was so going to say it changes everything. We're so thankful to have you here, Thank Naomi. You Amazing! Awesome. No, it adds so much more to it. I love it. I can't wait to tell my wife about this. I. But the funny thing is, is that as I've been talking, I'm like, I don't know how many people from the UK listen to this. I've been trying to be so careful because I don't want people to come at me like you're representing us from. Because it's like it's true. Like the these kind of <laughs> assertions is like it's very true, and I truly believe that this was a. He is a really hilarious actor. Richard Curtis wanted him in the movie. He didn't fit any other profile, so they brought him into that to because you notice as well, his character kind of disappears for a while, and then they bring him back at the points where things are getting pretty deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the point where you're dealing with a lot of the heavy stuff, you've got Colin Frizzle talking about bottles and tables, tables. and all oh, of yeah. this kind of stuff. Oh, you know? and all of these cameos, January Jones is in it. Maybe they were unknown, uh, though. That's like pre... Is that pre-Mad Men? It that's pre-Mad Men, yeah. Uh-huh. And... I forget who the other. It was like the uh, Lisa, Alicia Cuth Cuthbertson, yeah. right? She was American she was, Pie. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, Denise that, Richards in the end. Come on, right? Wow. She overacts so hard, though, man. Oh, she comes so <laughs> I've never seen someone walk and then kiss with such aggression. <laughs> yeah. And she does to the airport. Yeah. It's like, okay, I guess you've decided. Um, what I would say is, I said my experience was very much not like that moving to the US. I did physically laugh out loud when I watched it. The whole, say this word, thing yeah. is a very, very common part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like people would bring their daughters into work and say, speak like Peppa Pig. And I'm like, speak like <laughs> or if I was, there was once I went to a gas station and like, I asked for something and they literally mimicked my accent under their breath. <laughs> And I was like, oh did, you oh just, did you just do an English accent? So that part about the, the American fascination with the English accent is 100% accurate in that. It is the most realistic thing in this movie. That is hilarious. And the fact that they'll go, tape, oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's move on to Jamie and Aurelia, which... Uh. This one was kind of weird for me. Yeah, I don't really know how I feel about that. I totally get it's supposed to represent the idea of love, not having these language barriers, but also Jamie's her employer, so that's problematic. I think it explores the idea and the notion of what connection and love can be. And I do like it as an exploration because you've got like, you know, um, the one that's very physical. You've got the 
Emma Thompson relationship that's got a lot of depth, a lot of history, a lot of connection, where it struggled. You've got all the different dynamics of it. And I, you've got people, you've got, it is a romantic novel, Disney notion that someone can be in love with someone based on the physical connection. You walk into the room and your heart sparks and it's, it's not a looks thing. It's just kind of how you do it. And they, they try to, I don't know how effectively, but they try to when they're kind of telling each other, they're loving each other. They're talking about the things that they do, the little um, ticks or personality traits or the him being fumbling that she actually finds really endearing. Um, should he propose? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, should they, should he have gone to tell her that he loved her and that he wanted to make it work? Yes. Based on his history, I would say he was rushing into the marriage, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I yeah. really, I love the love story of it. I think the end is a little bit of Richard Curtis getting excited, a little bit of Hollywood yeah. drama. It wouldn't be as fun a story if they didn't get married. Yeah. I'm a sucker for it. I, I, <laughs> I think, I think it totally works. I think Colin <laughs> is so goddamn charming. I mean, he, he, like, you know, with the, with the eels when they jump in and he's, and yeah. he's all right. Oh, crim, crim. Oh, he's trying to, <laughs> trying to talk to each other. I don't know. Yes. It's so ridiculous and preposterous that he flies over there, but it's a great crescendo. Uh, the music, oh, yeah. the music, the soundtrack is such a big part of that movie. And what you know, and and how many have you ever used Justin Cases in an email? I mean, that is the greatest line. It's, it's like a very inside Justin Cases. I mean, I just because there's the the communication gap, right? And he's yeah. he's trying to learn to learn Portuguese, and it must be the prongs that he's said. It's, it's the best. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I love the whole, that story. I love because it's just like, you know, he kind of, his brother was cheating on with his, you know, she's sick and they're, they're shagging and he's gone for five minutes. And she's got his heart ripped out, right? It's like a terrible, that's right. There's so much tragedy, but there's a lot of reality in the movie as for as, as shitty as it is and a lot of the things that happen in it. Um, I don't know. It felt it, that felt pure, and I'm and I was always you're pulling for him. You are. I get it's unrealistic, but I really, I really love it. All right, Jamie and Aurelia, big yes for Malo. Let's move on to our last love story. One of the best stories in this, and yes. yeah, 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 was Billy Mack and his manager yeah. Joe. Billy Mack, this aging musician, trying to regain some relevancy by trying to attain the number one Christmas single in the UK. Naomi, can you like quickly explain what this Christmas single phenomena is in the UK? Because this is real. Yes. So Christmas number one, particularly at the time, was, uh, I don't think it's as big anymore, but it's a huge thing. It basically is marker of, are you the biggest act in the world or act in the UK at that time? Spice Girls kind of really kicked this off. They would have number ones nearly every year. The fact that they managed to still get it once Jerry left was a big deal, but it was also my favorite Spice Girls song. <laughs> and then when um, pop stars and um, X Factor and all of those shows came in, they would release the songs with the goal of it becoming Christmas number one. So it is, for some reason, some cultural big goal that you are able to achieve that, and a lot of bands will release it. My favorite thing about this that I have to say as an English person, the only people that don't do it is Anton Deck are in this. And you know Anton Deck, right? Uh, the TV presenters of the... Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't know their names, but I know, yes. So they are the biggest presenting duo in the UK. At the time, they were presenting a show called SMTV Live, which was the TV show I was watching every Saturday morning when I was at school. 
So they literally go onto SMTV Live and this show would have skits on it. They would talk to stars. They would have performances. They'd filter some TV shows in there. Anton Deck has still like a the probably the highest paid presenting duo in the UK and had a little bit of a drug issue. That's another conversation, <laughs> but he's fine now. But anyway, the fact- They hung out with Billy Mack. They yeah. hung out with Billy Mack. They, yeah, but they- they were so young in this and I literally every time I see that scene is like taking me back to when I was a teenager because I watched that show every week this wasn't a made-up show this was a real thing and so they input this into the real life the DJs they use are real DJs I think so yeah it is a amazing thing and the Billy Mac character is one of my favorites and he is so fucking funny yeah I <laughs> Just could give a fuck. He doesn't give a shit. And his poor, his poor manager, who's just sat there and he's like, my fat manager. And he's like, oh. But I, I, I love the character arc of him realizing that the person that he loves the most is this person that is facilitating everything he does, which is the person he should love the most. Mm-hmm. And like, and yeah. you know, he, uh, supposedly leaves Elton John's party to come back and hang out with him and they have a really nice moment together and like there, there's just this like flash of a moment where you're like oh wow this is amazing how these two middle-aged men are expressing their emotions yeah. for one another so clearly and and so authentically and then Bill Nye Billy Mac goes oh let now let's just get pissed and watch porn yeah <laughs> just like okay and it's I like I like this because there's a moment where you think oh is this like a story arc that like they actually are in love with each other and then you're like no this is their friendship yeah and especially I think at a certain age where you where for them at least that is their love because they've got this unadulterated trust, affection, seeing each other for who they are and loving them despite and including all everything. And I, I'm sad in a way that it's the last one that we're talking about because I think he is the overarching joy across the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and I love Bill Nye so much, yeah, just in general. And he hasn't aged, by the way, since this movie. Oh, for sure. <laughs> spectacular. The hug is the best. Uh, amazing. Um, he's got a Jaws poster in his apartment too. That's a mate. That's a great little. A yeah, great yeah. Little, yeah. Nice little. <laughs> Probably um, the same that But no, spectacular. Love it. It's. Uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, "Wait, is is he? Are they gay? What's going on?" And then it's yeah. like you, and, and, and I, I, that was like the first viewing, and they're like, "No, of course they're not gay. This is like just the purest love and the and the whole thing." I love the realization of it. It's just. It's just yeah. really great. And even though they aren't gay, it's now 20 years later, and you do wish they would have included more than just these heteronormative love stories. And, you know, you and I, Naomi, were talking about this, and the writer-director of this movie has gone back and said, like, he wishes he could have done things different in terms of representation. Yeah, he proactively said it was a miss. Yeah, And he was very forthright with it, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit, Um, but, you know, he is someone who is very much, this was not a, yes, it was, I think, a, a poor decision. It was a naive decision, but it is not a representation of how he sees the world. Yeah. Um, and what he's done. He has done a huge amount of um, driving a lot of the biggest charities in the UK to support a lot of minority groups. And so I think that there is a reason to criticize this movie, but also note that it is 
would not be made the same today and he would not have made it either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for giving us all of your British knowledge. <laughs> I've been waiting all of for this. years. I feel like everyone has, is going to walk away so much smarter in terms of their British cast awareness that's, <laughs> that goes Whether on. Whether they care or not. Whether they care or not, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Malo, thank you so much for joining us today, man. This was great. Such a pleasure. Uh, equally, uh, Naomi, the education, I, I learned so much. It's amazing. So thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. How, and uh, is it happy Christmas? Is that what we say? Is happy that Christmas, Merry Christmas. I'm actually <laughs> practicing saying happy holidays. So whatever it is that you're celebrating, <laughs> enjoy it. Amazing. Have an amazing time. Thank you. Thanks. For, thanks. Appreciate it. Love being All here. right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks Bye. for joining us. Bye. Bye. This is a special message from Kitty and Horn. I just want to say Happy New Christmas, Happy New Year's, Happy Hanukkah, wherever you're from. Um, I support, and I really want to know if you're having a good time. Is it cold? Is it hot? Bye.